1: Hi everyone, my name is Ryan Stacey and welcome to the Hockey Minds Podcast. This podcast is powered by Instat, the leader in video and data analysis. Instat Hockey supports all levels of our game worldwide with video breakdowns and or scouting services. For more information, visit Instat on the web at instatsport.com or on Twitter at Instat Hockey. Today I'm joined by TJ Manisterski, the head coach with Curry College. TJ is one of those people who I did not know heading into the summer, but as a follower of webinars and other resources, his name came across my feed multiple times, providing a lot of insight and unique perspectives, thus forcing my hand to an extended offer, which he happily accepted. TJ gives some great advice in this one, and shows the benefits of putting yourself out there and betting on yourself, making it a potential favorite for those looking to dive headfirst into the game of hockey. With that, I'm happy to present T.J. Manisterski, the head coach with Curry College. Today we're joined by T.J. Manisterski, the head coach of Curry College. T.J., thanks for joining the podcast. Thanks, Ryan. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I'm ecstatic that you've come on and I've heard a number of your different presentations in the over summer and and some of your own work which we'll get into but um, I think there's a lot to learn here and people will be very excited to hear from your story. So how about you just start off by talking about yourself and touch on your upbringing and your involvement in sports throughout your youth?
0: Well I was born in Toronto, I lived in Etobicoke up until about uh, I guess middle school where we moved to Oakville but in terms of uh, sports I played uh, primarily hockey, of course. And then the other main ones that I, I look back on fondly were, were I was a lacrosse player at Mimico. And then uh, at high school, I played football and rugby. So I really loved those sports. And um, I guess in terms of my upbringing and, and how, how I kind of gravitated toward those towards those sports is my grandfather, Tom Manisterski, actually has the distinction of having won a Memorial Cup in Montreal as well as a great cup with the Alouettes and so he's won those two big trophies and actually played some games uh, six games with Montreal Canadiens as well so I grew up in a sports family I have my father and three uncles and they all played uh, hockey and my dad was my coach and um, you know that was sort of the influences that, that I grew up around.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, I think it's a pretty common theme when we get on this podcast and talking with people, whether coaches or general managers or scouts or, you know, the long list of people that have been on. Uh, there's always a connection to sports, whether it's uh, through initial playing or multiple sports, and then as well, the family connection. And, and obviously, with uh, your family, there was a, a number of connections there. So it's, it's no uh, surprise that you ultimately went into sports uh, as a career. However, when you started school, you initially went into teaching, taking a few courses uh, at a few different universities. Touch on your initial schooling and your plans for your career uh, outside of hockey originally.
0: Yeah, that's, that, that's an interesting story because I did go to a few different schools. I originally was going to go to Wilfrid Laurier out of, when I graduated high school and I was going to play hockey and do the kinesiology program there. And then I was recruited to play with the Georgetown Raiders. And uh, it was a year where they were kind of buying a team. We're a very old team, a lot of 20-year-olds and guys. I think we had 11 guys that had played in the Ontario Hockey League the year before. So I, I put my, my education plans on hold, although I did go part-time to Laurier for two years while I played for Georgetown before uh, going to Oswego State and in uh, NCAA Division Three when and uh, did English was my major, actually writing arts and athletic coaching as a minor. And from there, I ended up uh, I, when I finished playing, I was going to go to Kinesius College to to do, and I did. I was for physical education, and I thought that I would ultimately return to Ontario to teach and coach, whether that's junior or U Sports and growing I grew up around U sports my father was an assistant coach at York University for uh you know a few years when I was young and then he took over the women's program and was the head coach of the women's team sort of all through some real formative years for me and that's really where the bug for coaching began was being around those those coaches rooms and and seeing how all that uh sort of went on but uh in order to get accepted to the Kinesius program, I had to do some prerequisites. So I, I ended up taking a couple of classes at York University and I was late to sign up. And the only ones left were uh, I'd take gymnastics, which was unbelievable. I actually really loved that. But then I had to take uh, African and Caribbean dance. And I, and I can tell you that that was uh, an experience uh, that I've never had since and really learned how to get over yourself in a hurry. But uh, it was sort of a, some twists and turns. Um, ultimately before I, I graduated that master's in uh, physical education from Canisius in Buffalo.
1: Yeah. Um, one of my favorite parts about doing these podcasts are you get so many little stories that kind of stick with every um, with every guest. And uh, one I talk about a number of times is Jordan Hunter and climbing 28 stairs on a broken ankle. And and uh, <laughs> I'm sure Brad Yedman talks about, um, you know, the bull in the china shop incident when he was playing senior hockey after dealing with some concussions and, and sticking up for his brother and net and things like that. But, uh, the African dance and the gymnastics courses, that's uh, that's an interesting one. And, um, you know, I remember in high school doing dance and, and things like that in our, uh, some of our recreation programs and stuff like that. But, um, you know, I think it just kind of goes to show that even in a situation like that, uh, if you really want to go into something, like you said, you're short a few credits, you kind of just do what you got to do. And, um, you know like you said the gymnastics one was actually one you enjoyed and it was a good experience so uh, definitely an interesting tidbit there to uh, to take away from that
0: yeah it was and I can tell you about Jordy Hunter on another podcast maybe I could tell you some more stories about him because I had the chance to spend some time with him in Latvia at a hockey <sighs> camp and uh, we had a great time but no he, he's a great guy and uh, yeah it's interesting the way things go and the reason I was late signing up for classes is because I was playing in the Southern Professional Hockey League for the Richmond Renegades. And I had, I had been put on waivers once earlier in the season and then asked to come back and then ultimately put on waivers again. So I probably spent more time on waivers than I did playing. But it was an interesting experience because my coach was John Brophy, who had coached the Leafs in the 80s. And he's actually the inspiration for the character of Reg Dunlop in Slapshot. And uh, he was an interesting guy, and, and that experience in Richmond, you know, looked an awful lot like, uh, like the movie Slap Shot, right down to our player, coach, uh, and everything. So um, that was that was a time for sure,
1: definitely. And I know you've you've touched on your playing career a little bit, but uh, maybe just explain uh, your playing career as a whole just a little bit more, uh, maybe filling in the blanks that were left out, and also uh you know maybe talk a little bit more about the SPHL and uh, the area of hockey and the uh, you know just the hockey culture in that league
0: sure sure so well I had as I mentioned I was playing junior hockey and what was the Ontario Provincial Junior Hockey League at the time it's now just the Ontario Junior Hockey League when I was playing my 19 and 20 year old year in, in Georgetown I was going part-time school at Laurier so when I went to Oswego, I already had a lot of credits completed. And so much so that after two years of playing at Oswego, I, I graduated. So I had made the choice to, to move on. I actually was going to go to University of Ottawa and play for David Leger, who's now coaching in Hungary. But what happened was I actually, late in the, sea, in the summer, I, I found out I was not going to be accepted to the program. Because when I went to high school in Ontario, we still had OACs, which was just grade 13. And because there's no grade 13 in the States, Oswego took those as sort of advanced level college type credits. So those counted towards my degree at Oswego. So when I applied for the master's program at Ottawa, they reviewed my transcripts. They said, listen, you're short courses. You can't, you're going to have to take some more university classes. So I was left sort of, oh boy you know, late in the summer and not going to get in. So that's not going to work. So I decided that I would attempt to play uh, in the Southern Professional Hockey League. And i had signed in Richmond and went down there for training camp. And, um, you know, was there for a little while. Like I said, put on waivers and then they ended up calling me back. But that experience was was really interesting. I learned what it was like to spend so much time on a bus. And in that environment was – like our rink was was really – Really cool. We were we were getting you know five thousand fans a game, and you really got the opportunity to sort of feel like, you know, like you're a a, a real pro. You, you know, you're not making a lot of money, but but you are getting a, a paycheck, and and there's expectations there, and and that was an experience. It was the best I ever was at playing hockey, so so that felt good internally. Uh, but I also found out that uh, you know it is a business, and and it's not doesn't have the same type of fun I guess you would say as as you you would have in in junior or college or minor hockey growing up and you have to be willing to do the things that you have to do to stay and if you the passion for it isn't quite there then it's not going to work and uh, and I learned a lot about the value of thinking ahead you know we had players that were you know at the time in their 30s for me I was like 23 I think so they th- they seemed ancient, you know, and they, they had no plan, you know, and if they got put on waivers, they, they had kids and a family and they were trying to survive. So it was, it was a real interesting life experience for me. And I learned a lot in my time there.
1: Definitely. And I'm sure a lot of uh, the lessons that you learned uh, in that league probably carried over into coaching and things you would do later on. Uh, I was particularly interested in SVHL uh, working with the Newfoundland Growlers. We had a number of guys, who actually came from that league or, you know, we're back and forth there. And, and it's just another perspective that to the podcast is we haven't really touched on that league in the past. Uh, One thing I like to do with a lot of people on the podcast is look at their experiences uh, that lead into hockey, maybe before hockey. Um, On my episode, uh, we kind of talk about, um, you know, working at Tim Hortons and, general labor and, and golf courses and things like that. But one that really stood out to me on yours was uh, your time with good life fitness, Uh touch on your trainer position and more primarily touch on the elite hockey boot camp.
0: That's funny. That's a blast from the past. So I was working at good life fitness in Oakville and I was working with one of my best friends, Matt Bacon, Matt played in the OHL for four years and then played his OA year with, with me in Georgetown. And so we started in those years, in particular, we did everything together, and he started working at Good Life. So I thought, well, I should start working at Good Life, and he helped me get in there. and And we wanted to do something to, you know, to to make some extra money, really. And we said, hey, we we both like I had just finished playing, and he was he was a great hockey player. And we thought, you know, we're we're trainers, so let's do this hockey boot camp. And and boot camps at that time were all the rage. Like everything was a boot camp, right? And uh, so we're like, well, we'll do uh, an elite hockey boot camp and we'll get the basically the kids of all the people we were training day to day to come to this camp. And, and that was just a lot of fun, honestly. Like we just loved, like that was an awesome period of time training, connecting with people, learning about how to train and, and the body. And then uh, applying it to hockey was, was such a natural outlet for the two of us. And then really paved the way for me when i got into coaching because it's certain depending where you are you may or may not have a strength coach and or if you do you don't have certainly might not have them all the time or full time so it gave me sort of a feather in my cap in terms of a experience or a resume that that helped set me apart maybe from some other people and uh so that that, that really kind of turned out to a to be a great experience and to this date and my wife we'll will attest to this I I have never looked as good as I did then.
1: <laughs> oh for sure I mean uh, you know you're, you're in that profession uh, it it's, comes with the territory I guess but no that that was a fun one I wanted to definitely touch on. Um, you know you said you kind of got into coaching then you had a few minor coaching positions you know next step hockey and a few things like that but one of your first breaks came with Canisius College as an assistant coach. Talk about how you came into that role and what you learned during those uh, initial seasons with uh, Canisius.
0: Yeah, well, I, that's where I learned how sometimes you just have to work really, really hard with no guarantee of success. And so I knew I wanted to coach, and I knew I was going to go to Kinesis College to, for education. So I reached out to the head coach, Dave Smith, at the time. He was, he was there, and I said, hey, I want to be your graduate assistant coach because the graduate assistant coach gets his master's paid for and I said, well, you can't because I already have one, but if you'd like to be involved, let's meet and talk about it. So I just took the approach, Ryan, that I was in my mind, a full-time coach and I just dove into it and I, I volunteered completely the first year it was primarily video was my main role. I, you know I probably spent my life in a laptop that year learned a ton about that but that decision was really uh, a life changer for me because at the same time i I referenced my wife uh she was we were having sort of a distance relationship and she we made the decision that she would move to buffalo we we got a 600 square foot apartment in tonawanda new york and um you know sort of looking back on us starting our life together, I don't know if either of us really knew that's what we were doing. I mean, maybe she did, but I, I, I probably didn't know. And, but just took a leap of faith. Like, I mean, I certainly was making no money and fortunately she, she was, she got a job and to kind of take care of the rent and groceries and, and all that. And, uh, but there was no guarantee that the next year I would get the graduate assistant job. And that position was normally uh, fulfilled by somebody who was a goalie. Coach Smith wanted a goalie in that role. And so when Greg Fargo, who was the guy, he's now the Colgate women's head coach, a good friend of mine. And and when he graduated and left, it it opened up that spot to be a grad assistant. But there was no guarantee that that I was going to get it, even though I felt I deserved it. And I had given so much of my my effort and passion to, to the team. I didn't check that box of being a goalie guy. So that was a, that was a time where we went down to the, there's a convention in Naples, Florida for the American Hockey Coaches Association. And so I, we went down there and I didn't know if I was going to get the Canisius job and I had to get outside of my comfort zone and connect with coaches that were all way older than me. And, you know, they had these sexy logos on their golf shirts and, you know, really seemed like they were important people. And, I had to get out of my comfort zone, be prepared, uh, really try to find an opportunity in which I, I was able to get a couple of interviews and, and a few things came my way. But ultimately, uh, fortunately, I was offered the, the, the grad assistant job at Canisius. So I, the second year, I, so I was able to stay there and complete my degree and get it paid for and, and, all, and really, get, uh, really add some momentum to, to what I was trying to do as a coach.
1: I think that's a great example of one of those. You know, you don't know what's going to happen, but you know you're going to dive into it anyways. And uh, it's not easy to kind of, like you said, your your girlfriend and wife now. Uh, you know, moving in and and kind of, uh, you know, probably pushing the bills her away, but uh, you know, doing what you want to do and and really diving into it. And then obviously it worked out. And and even the convention, like you said, um, everybody going around with the nice dress logos and on the shoulder, and you're just kind of uh, trying to start a conversation with everybody and anybody so um, one of those stories that people I'm sure can attest to in their own careers and um, definitely learn something from as well so after Canisius uh, you went on to another school as you had an opportunity to coach while also teaching Uh, touch on that transition to a new position and how you progressed as a coach overall in the next few seasons
0: Well, that was just an unbelievable experience to to be at Fredonia State, which is 45 minutes southwest of Buffalo, work with Coach Meredith, who's been there now well over 30 years. He's been a friend and a mentor to me. And uh, what was so good about the coaching side of it, it was just how much responsibility he gave me. So I got a chance to take all the things I absorbed at Canisius College and now it turned into my ideas of how I thought things should go. And then I was given an opportunity to run with it and to try things. And, you know, the first, first weekend of the year we're at Elmira college and, you know, we call timeout late in the game, we're down a goal. And coach Merritt hands me the clipboard says, here you go. And I was totally unprepared for it and, and caught me off guard. And I was a little upset afterwards. I, I sort of said, coach, I want that, but man, I wish you would have told me that was my job. I would have been ready. And, uh, but that was a big lesson for me in preparation. And, and, but, but that was just how it was. It was, it was, you know, here are the keys run with it and, and uh, try out all these ideas. So for three years, I got a chance to, to really grow. And at the same time, there were some factors that that gave me the opportunity to be, uh, to teach in the sport management department so I was teaching leadership and management in sport economics in sport facilities management technology in sport I even taught sport law for half a semester because the the guy who was teaching it got fired and I just had to figure it out and it was it was such a an awesome experience just having to prepare and present every day and it really – I still lean on that experience every day as a, as a coach because, you know, to have a plan and to present in front of a group and to teach and to find ways to connect to different learners and then to figure out how to keep it on the rails when, when maybe it's starting to go off the rails a bit and, and adapt on the fly. And so that whole experience of I me mean, talk about growth in a, in a short amount of time of three years was, was significant for me.
1: Definitely. And I'm sure that you can, you know, credit that uh, that long leash and the ability to maybe uh, even as like an assistant coach, uh, you know, like you said, a minute left in the game down by one you get the clipboard, you know, that that, those opportunities don't always come. And a lot of times it takes, uh, you know, the right person to see something in you and and give you that responsibility or the opportunity, even like you said, maybe when you're wishing that he may might've waited a game or gave you a little (laughs) tap on the shoulder of five minutes and say, you know, this is coming down the pipe, so uh, you yeah. know definitely another interesting uh, you know story in your career path. so today you find yourself in Curry College. Uh, tell the listeners how you made it to Curry and how the job has changed since your initial season there.
0: Yeah, I would say me getting the opportunity to coach at Curry College was certainly my dream job i w- I was the youngest head coach in the NCAA when when I got that job, and what was interesting about it is that we just, in this industry, almost exclusively get jobs because of somebody you know and a connection. and in this case, I had no connection to Curry College, and you know I've been in Boston now for eight years, and I can tell you, like Boston is a tight area, tight community, uh, really a small town feel in a big city, and really, I was an outsider at the time. So for me to get that job was really remarkable and I mean, the great story is I'm sitting in the president's office during my interview and, you know, you, you create these packets, right? When you go in these interviews of, you know, your, your plans and, and things like that. And I was, I remember the night before I'm searching, I needed a quote. I was looking for a quote and I came across this quote and it just said, uh, you can't steal second with your foot on first. And I thought at the time that was relevant because they were going to have to take a chance on me a little bit. And So I put that in the packet and I'm sitting in the president's office and you know, I'm waiting for the right time. We have a, we have an, an important alum in the, in the athletic director. We're all in the room and I hand out my packet. It seemed like the right time to do it. The president, we're at his boardroom, the president Quigley, he looks at my packet and he gets up from the table and I'm thinking, where is he going? And he walks over to his desk. He grabs a baseball and throws it at me. So I catch it and I look at the baseball and it has the quote. If you can't, you can't steal second with your foot on first, the exact quote. And um, I don't know if that was the moment I got the job, but it sure felt like it. And it was a moment that I'll I'll never forget. And, you know, that was an incredible experience. And I showed up to Curry College late in the summer. I moved my, my office, my stuff into the office the same day that it was the first day of classes. And, you know, there was no recruiting that could have been done. At that point, it was just, hey, show up and we play with the players we have. And uh, we, it was such a, an opportunity, again, to take – like as an assistant coach, you, although I did have a lot of autonomy at Fredonia State, you're still not – like it's not my name on the door. And I don't get a win or a loss on my record with, based on the results. So now as the head coach, you take all of those strong opinions you had where things are very black and white. Become gray in a hurry, when it's yeah. when you have to make the choice and, you know make decisions and so we just tried to you know uh instill a culture and a way of operating and it was a challenge because the the previous head coach was was uh was a big personality and the the circumstances around his departure from the program were there were a lot of mixed feelings there were some people that were that wanted to change, and a lot of people that really you know really respected them and loved them, And, and none of those, all those feelings are totally fine. Had nothing to do with me, but you're walking into an environment where, where you have this dynamic going on. It's with current players, it's with the alumni. And, and there's a lot of these things that, and, and you don't really know all that information either until you get into the job. So, so you're navigating those waters at the same time, figuring out how to be a head coach and uh, managing the people. And so that was, that was a, a, a great, opportunity made a lot of mistakes did a lot of good things and ultimately you know over the years the position has changed to answer your question because well now it's become my program and uh that, that I've built with other people and very proud of the guys that have come in to work with me uh Ryan Warsawski was my first the first guy now he's a head coach uh, in the American Hockey League we had uh, next up with Steve Wiedler, who's an associate head coach in division one NCAA. Then I had Dave Nyes, who's in the USHL as an assistant GM and associate coach. And then most recently, Mike McDonald, the fellow Maritimer like you who uh, just took a head coaching job at Wisconsin Stout. So I certainly didn't do it by myself. I've had a lot of good people, um, you know, along the way that, that I've learned from and you know, we're 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 at a point now where you know we're a national contender and you know we've just moved into a, a new facility and things are really uh, seem to be expediting and going in the right direction.
1: That's great to hear. And I think uh, you know that, that story about the uh, the baseball and the quote. I think you know as as much as people talk about connections, and I'm sure a lot of my jobs that that I've had in the last couple of years for me, it's been about connections and and being right place, right time. But um, I think it, that just kind of brings a full circle and shows that even if you don't have a connection, you know, you'll never know unless you kind of put yourself out there and, and make that leap of faith and uh, like something as minor as that, looking for that quote and, and looking for the right quote, just attention to detail. And, and sure enough, like you said, you don't know if it was why you got the job or when you got the job, but um, you know, it's, it's a pretty, uh, it seems like a pretty good moment and it was probably leaning towards that way from uh, from that moment and forward. So uh, just another opportunity to, uh, you know, put yourself out there and and good things came from it. So looking, yeah, for sure, definitely. Um, So in previous presentations that you've done, uh, you know, Wes Wolf and and others that I've seen and and heard, uh, you talked about recruiting at the D3 level. Uh, Talk about some of the benefits as well as the challenges associated with bringing players uh, into the NCAA uh, in a place like Curry College.
0: Well, there's tons of benefits. I mean, I really believe that the players that come to Curry College, they don't have to sacrifice anything. They they can have the best of all worlds. You know, with our our situation specifically, you know, our campus is seven miles to downtown Boston, in Milton, Massachusetts, which is a tremendous community you know, one like second best place to live in the United States not too long ago. So you have the access to this city, uh, a world-class city with history and culture and um, arts and entertainment and everything. But then you have this, this great community that your campus is in and our campus itself is, is gorgeous. Like I still drive onto it every day and go, wow, this place is nice. And what a, what a cool and, great environment that is that I get to come to work here and it's a it's a beautiful place with great people the education is strong and our guys can come in here and and be successful and now with the new facility we're in they they also get to play in a facility that's top notch and a dressing room area that is one of the best in the country which was not always the case for us and and that was a hurdle in the recruiting process for sure but now it's it's outstanding and i just think the environment we create with the hockey team is special you know we're players first all the time I, I i'm a players coach just means i put you know the 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 needs needs of our athletes uh first in every every way possible so i think we do some things that are a little unique that way and uh you know the guys get to come here and have a tremendous experience be successful on the ice, be successful in the classroom, and then the outcomes are strong. When I look at the, the amount of guys that are going on to continue their hockey career, playing pro, guys that are going to grad school, coming back to the University of Toronto um, or, or Temple University or different schools, and, and then the jobs these guys are getting uh, as well. So it's really a game changer for them. Touch on some of the, the challenges you know, well, I guess the biggest one, honestly, is the finances. And, and we don't have full scholarships. So it's based on your academics. And we offer scholarships and uh, merit scholarships. So for me, uh, a player or a student with with good grades, I can I can offer a competitive merit scholarship to but even still, they're required there's a significant financial investment a part of that. So it limits your pool. Not everybody can do that, and uh, that's that's probably the biggest challenge. And I think also, you know, I think no people don't understand how good the brand of hockey is, Division Three. So uh, that sometimes is is a bit of a I don't know if it's a hurdle, but like yeah. in many cases, the first Division Three game a player sees is the one he plays in. And, and he shows up on campus as a freshman and goes, wow, like this is, this is better than I thought. I guess, you know, maybe I'm not going to be on the power play here day one. So, you know, I, you know, I think probably how I would sort of summarize it.
1: Yeah, no, that's a good point. And, um, you know, when I bring up that question, it's it's definitely not, I wouldn't call it a a challenge and and the the benefits, obviously there's a lot of good parts. You talk about about the new facility and everything, but um, in terms of challenges, the, the one thing I was wondering is perception and, uh, even when I worked in the ECHL, you know, in, in Newfoundland, we had the AHL, and then the ECHL came, and immediately the fan base is like, "Okay, this is a step below; uh, it's not good hockey." And a lot of people didn't see the ECHL before, and you kind of get down to that first game, and um, you know, maybe it was a our team was pretty good from the get go, but uh, at that point, you were able to look at it and say, "You know what? This is good hockey." And D three is the same way. I mean, I've, I've watched some games at D three and. Um, i think it deserves more credit than than it probably gets at times from some people but uh i think people are starting to realize that you know this is great and curry college obviously has uh, you know some tremendous players go through that system and um i think any level like that uh really needs to you need to be there to appreciate to see what it really is and and the level that can be and um curry college like you said is, is a national contender and is one of those programs that many people should be aware and um, i encourage anybody who hasn't watched any hockey uh, in that area to definitely uh, take advantage of it because it is it is really good hockey
0: yeah and i think i would say too just recognizing that at all levels of hockey there's not enough jobs for the capable players exactly and you know there's there's only like 60 division one teams and if you figure you know let's say there's 24 players per per team, usually there's, there's maybe a little more than that, but on any given year, you know, 60 teams are going to be looking for six players. Right. Okay, so it's at 360 players a year you can play division one hockey. Well, listen, if you're not an elite student, you can probably throw out a dozen schools right away. If you're not going to be an NHL prospect, you can throw out another 12. So that 24 teams are, are not really options for you. Yeah. So, then, and now you think how many, how many players are there in the greater Toronto area and then Boston and then Minnesota and then Western Canada. And then you look at the other emerging markets of California and the Southwest of the United States and, and Europeans. I mean, 30% of my roster are European players. So there are a lot of players playing D3 hockey that are good enough to play division one hockey. They just didn't get the opportunity for, you know, one reason or another.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think that's, that's a great point And kind of just goes to show that, um, I mean, even in hockey operations, the opportunities just aren't there. And, uh, you know, at every level, there's, there's probably people that could be, you know, three levels ahead. It's just, uh, you know, sometimes you got to wait your turn or, or the opportunity yeah. comes. So, it's just one of those things, and uh, I think that competitive nature to progress and, and, and find those holes in, in the system or, or find that dream job, as you said, uh, Curry being your dream job there, um, it's just a matter of time and, and putting the right quote in your, your package, as they say. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so uh, while with Curry and, and throughout your time in hockey, you're also involved with the American Hockey Coaches Association. Uh, talk about the program and your role uh, during your involvement with that.
0: So my role as the vice President was to plan the agenda basically, so there's a series of league meetings and national meetings and things that take place down there. but there's also a professional development component, so we're trying to build an agenda and bring in speakers and uh, breakout sessions and and all that stuff. so you're making it a a hockey conference as well as there's some business being done with exhibitors uh, you know and manufacturers of equipment and different you know peripheral industries that that we may you know uh, order order things from and uh, so so what i had to do is to is to make sure that we had high quality speakers and, and professional development opportunities for our membership that includes the men's and women's coaches in the ncaa as well as some uh acha which are the club coaches and and that was really uh a great experience to learn how an association like that operates and then you know just the people I've met along the way to to bring them bring them to to the convention and and to connect with others and learn learn all that that side of it uh was a lot of fun for me
1: yeah for sure and it's again it just comes into another opportunity to you know meet new people and be involved in something different and and take something from that which you can use uh, further down the road uh, more recently, you started a podcast initiative, uh, the Coaching Project Podcast. Uh, how did that idea come about, and was it related to maybe other appearances that you've done in the past and talking about coaching? And uh, you know, where do you hope to uh,
0: have that lead in the in the future? Sure, I had the idea in the past, never really executed on it. I got things almost set up last summer, and then the see you know the school year starts, season happens, and then. So of course you don't get to it. I mean, you, you know, I have a job, so I've got other things to do. And then, you know, the, the season ends and COVID happens and I had kind of had everything sort of on a tee from the summer. So I just thought, well, here's an opportunity. Just do it, you know, just do it and figure it out. Nobody's going to listen anyways. Just, just, just do the first one. And uh, I did and I enjoyed it. And so I did another one and another one. And I think I've done 18 or 19 of them now, and soon season one will have to come to a close because things are going to get busy, but it was uh, it's been incredible, Ryan. Like the people you meet and connect with has been really special. It's been great uh, to connect with my own players, too. Like I've had a player call me up out of the blue and say, "Coach, you know can we can we talk about leadership?" I said, "Sure." You know, and we talked for 45 minutes about different topics and about leadership. And I hung up the phone thinking, wow, what a special way to connect with this guy because otherwise we never would have had that conversation. And now him and I are connecting on a deeper level. I understand more about him, he understands more about me. So I think the real special value to all this that, that I didn't anticipate was just how many connections were going to come out of it. And some of them are just with people you already know but you just connect in a different way and a deeper and a deeper level and and that's neat another thing about doing a blog post that goes along with this is that it really just forces you to be bring clarity to some thought that you have in that's bouncing around your brain and so there's been a huge value for me to to just think about a topic bring clarity to it and then try to express it in a uh, relatively quick manner so that somebody might actually read it and uh, so that's what it's been it's been a journey an experiment I don't know where it's going to go I imagine I will continue in some capacity uh, but hopefully I'm going to get too busy with hockey and coaching and recruiting here pretty soon that that I got to put it on pause
1: yeah for sure you hope so and um, you know doing this podcast as well is definitely one of those things you you expect to meet people but the amount of connections and even people that I've had on here that I know you kind of get to know more about them and start connecting on topics that you you wouldn't even uh, think of otherwise so I'm um, definitely interested in hearing about that and I think anybody listening to this podcast should also tune into yours and and take uh, as much away from that as they can because it's uh, it really touches on a number of different uh, topics in hockey and, and coaching in general. Um, so this summer, you joined the Omaha Lancers as a regional scout uh, there very recently. While COVID-19 has obviously prevented us from starting on time and, and will probably play a little bit of a, an impact here moving forward, what are some of the things that you are looking forward to while working as a scout in the USHL?
0: Yeah, for me, this is just a, another growth opportunity. So I'll be watching players in a different pool than I typically do. Right. So for Curry College, I'm primarily evaluating players that are, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old. And they're on the track of, you know, some of, you know, Division One, Division Three level players. Uh, So now I'm going to get the opportunity to learn how to evaluate younger players. Understand that player pool. Know who know who those players are, you know, talking about. Oh threes oh fours, oh fives, you know, even, you know, small sixes as well. And uh, so that's a, that's a different animal in terms of, uh, of just a pool. And, and then they, you know, a whole cast of characters that are surrounding these players, coaches and advisors and, and different people that, that are around. And so I think for me, I'm going to learn a lot. I've already have, it's been already well worth it. I'm excited to, to get going more full steam. And, and it's something that I can do, uh, you know, in conjunction with, with what I'm doing in the rinks anyway. So it's, uh, it's pretty cool. And I'm excited about it.
1: Definitely. Um, I, I think that's a great point you brought up about the, You know, it's a, it's a different beast altogether trying to scout players, you know, the, the 04, 05, 06 group, it's kind of crazy to think about uh, those kids playing at a competitive level. But uh, James McGregor was one of the people that talked about you know he was scouting at the NHL level and then he kind of got thrown into a at the time it was a minor midget game and he kind of looked around saying how are you supposed to tell who's the best players out of this group so it was just a whole different thing and then at that age uh, as you touched on those players are so um, you know in a way micromanaged through different parties, the parents and and their advisors and, and coaches and they're all just checking and looking out for their best interests but Where they're maybe not as independent as some of the older kids or professional players and things like that. There's always that component that you have to deal with on a on a daily basis and almost in every conversation that you have. So, um, you know, joining a a team in a position like that, especially during COVID-19, is a is an interesting opportunity, and I'm glad that you're able to kind of jump in there. And um, as you said, it, it probably won't change a lot of your schedule as you're usually in the ranks anyway. And and probably getting out to some of these tournaments, but uh, it's nice to have another, like I said, another feather in your cap and uh, another opportunity to to grow on uh, a hockey operations level. So people often consider you someone who presents a lot of ideas, you know, the presentations, the podcasts, and uh, people use you as a useful resource for learning new things on a personal level. What are some of your favorite resources to reference, whether it be books, articles, other podcasts, et cetera?
0: well, I think that right now the amount of information it's you're almost drinking through a fire hose, right? Like you and me are not the only ones that are starting podcasts and uh, there's books and there's YouTube videos and there's podcasts and, and all this kind of stuff. I'm on the, I'm on the search for trying to filter that information. And when I, when I open up my podcast, I talk about breakthrough knowledge. So I'm trying to find information that will change my opinion or change how I see something. So breakthrough knowledge as opposed to incremental knowledge, which is like, I've read 10 leadership books. I'm going to read an 11th. Well, yeah, I might pick something out of that, but you're really just reconfirming a bunch of things. I already, I already think. So the marginal benefit of that 11th leadership book to me is not as powerful as maybe finding out something that changes the way I do something or think about a thing. And that's what I'm after. So I spent some time uh, looking at other areas, you know, like the knowledge project is one of my favorite podcasts right now. Shane Parrish is the guy who runs it and he, the Farnham street blog and website. We talk a lot about mental models and decision-making and I find it fascinating you know that that's a favorite one of mine. There's another one called Coaching Culture, which are quick, like which is great. They're like thirty minutes or less, and that's another podcast that that I find myself gravitating toward. Um, you know, everything from uh, you know even reading the book I read recently was uh, Skin in the Game by uh, Nassim Taleb, and so I enjoy getting outside of hockey. Uh, a little bit and then it's amazing when you do how often you can find relevant information in some in some unusual place you never thought maybe you would so uh, that's sort of where I'm at with with that journey right now.
1: Yeah for sure Um, you know people often talk about uh, even other sports baseball basketball uh, you know Phil Jackson's book comes up um, you know in in almost every conversation that I have uh, you know outside of the podcast and things like that but um, like you said there's so many different things you can learn on topics that have absolutely nothing to do with hockey and then you still find a way to, to haul it back into the game so it's just uh, one of those things that um, if you if you get a good eye for it you can really take away things from places that like you said you wouldn't really uh, usually expect to find it. So on a topic of learning and all these things, uh, lessons and mentors, as I've said on many episodes of the podcast, are crucial to the development of players, coaches, and those in hockey operations, you know, scouts and other managers. Uh, Who are some of these people who have helped you succeed thus far? I know you kind of mentioned a few brief names. And what are some of the main lessons that you've learned uh, through these interactions and even as a player?
0: Well, I'm fortunate that you know, the first one is my father. So my dad coached me when I was little and then just being around him and his coaching journey and being absorbed by the things that were happening in the coach's room, you know, back at the old ice palace at York university that I don't even know if it still exists, but, uh, you know, sitting in the coach's room there, Graham Wise was the head coach at the time. And that sort of really, you know, looking back, that's really where I became a coach, or where I where I was. It was clear I was going to be a coach, and I don't know if I knew it at 10 or 11 years old, but certainly that's that's the case. And then I was really lucky to play for the Mississauga Senators growing up, and playing with or for uh, Kevin Rutledge is his name, and his his cast of characters around him that you know Mike James and Mick and Cap and all these guys that. Um, you know, and and what what I really learned from that experience is how to or how important an environment is. So, as I'm sure you're aware, like the 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 Toronto hockey scene is is out of control, crazy, and it was like a an, an oasis in that environment, where, or not on that team of sanity and fun. And we, so I learned the power of that. And you know, what's interesting. We didn't have great teams. We were competitive, but so many guys, you know, went on and played high levels, NHL, you know, like Matt stage and Carlo Koyakov and then there's other guys that Kevin Rutledge coached as well. You know, Matt Molson was on our team. Uh, you know and other guys too like Wes Clark with the Leafs played with us for a while and I could go on like the list is actually pretty incredible so um, that that was those are memories that um, that I that I cherish for sure
1: yeah there's there's just so many things you can learn from especially as a player you know interacting with all those people and um, you know Wes Clark is obviously in management and, and Matt Molson stage and Koliakovo you know Koliakovo is a on side panelists and stuff like that now. So it just shows the uh, the amount of knowledge that go through those players and the different things that you could pick up from them and, and other mentors who you've had throughout your career. Uh, so as a final question, uh, if you could go back in time, maybe uh, just entering school or, or looking uh, at what you were going to do as a career, if you could go back and give yourself or someone who was in a similar position one final piece of advice that they could hopefully build off of to become a coach or a scout or anything like that. Uh, what would that one final piece of advice be?
0: Well, I think it's the first thing I learned, and that is sometimes you have to work really, really hard with no guarantee of success. So, you know, you've heard the story about burning the boats, you know, and you, you land ashore, you got to burn the boats so there's no, there's no chance of uh, retreat. You got to kind of take that mentality and, and jump into it. And, and there's no secret. And especially nowadays, like there's no one path, there's no one way to do it. There's there's different ways to, to find your role and your niche. And uh, I'm just a big believer in, in growth and learning and just keep trying to 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 get you know, get better. I mean our team is our ma our mission really at Curry was if you ask anyone be K G B it stands for keep getting better and it's and that's that's it. It's continual growth and uh you know try to be a good person along the way and yeah, I think things work out most times.
1: Yeah, that's a great piece of advice. And and burn the boat is one I haven't heard in a while. So I, I'm glad that one is uh, is still kicking around. And it's a good thing to, uh, you know, take in consideration when doing these kind of things. TJ, I want to wish you all the best moving forward. Uh, good luck with the podcast. And as you said, hopefully you're soon out of time to do the podcast because you're back in the rinks and, and coaching hockey. And, uh, you know, I appreciate you taking some time to join me here today.
0: I appreciate the invite it was a lot of fun and I want to thank you for the, what you're doing to to put uh different coaches and people in hockey operations in different roles on a platform to share their story so that others that want to and aspire to to be in some of these roles can learn about it and um, I wish you the best of luck all right thanks a lot TJ
1: I'd like to thank TJ for joining me on the podcast and walking us through his career to date. I think we were really able to see the person that TJ is through this interview, and I found his stories, including the ones about the hockey boot camp and the baseball quote, to be very honest and insightful. So once again, I'd like to thank him for sharing that with us today. If you would like to get in touch with TJ to discuss his experiences, I encourage you to reach out to him directly or contact hockey Minds Podcast at Outlook.com, and I can look to make that connection for you. On the next release of the podcast, I'll be joined by Jimmy McGrordy, the general manager of the Muskegon Lumberjacks. Jimmy is one of those pure hockey guys who has an immense amount of insight and respect for the game, which I think is shown throughout the interview, so I encourage everyone to have a listen to that upcoming episode. As a final note, I'd like to again thank everyone for the support and continued interaction, and hopefully we can continue to share the amazing stories of those in hockey. As always, stay safe, and all the best.